Hey, everybody, I'm Paul Wilkie. And I'm David Oro. And you're listening to The Embargo, the greatest PR podcast of all time. Damn straight. There's always something to talk about and a point to make. We're going to do it when we want, which is usually every other week. And whether it's tech, business, sports, music, or your mama, we're going to cover it. All that comes from the point of public relations, reputation, and communications. It's all about punching stodgy PR in the face. That's right. So sit back, strap in, and let's get it on. Today is Thursday, March 9th, 2023. It is another rainy day in California. Um, We don't pay this much to live here to have crappy weather for three months straight. Speak for yourself. It's sunny in 73 down here. Ah, man, it's bad. Or Mr. Atmospheric River, my two favorite words. So (laughs) it's going to rain all weekend. Yay. Hey, Paul, um, last week we had a crisis communication thing, and you wanted to talk about something that you watched last night. I did. I did on Netflix. Um, They just rolled out a documentary about Malaysia Airlines Flight 370. And what's fascinating about that one is, you know, not only does it play into what we talked about last week with Brian and crisis communications, you know, it's not communication specific, but the whole documentary is is sort of like a what not to do when it comes to crisis communications. They, you know, the Malaysian government, Malaysia Airlines didn't communicate effectively. They didn't do a great job being empathetic with the families. I mean, and also when we talk to Brian, one of the things is he talked about, you know, airlines have every scenario mapped out in the manual. I can bet you Malaysia Airlines did not have what happens when the plane disappears in the <laughs> crisis comms manual. So um, if you want to if, if you want to sort of a, a masterclass of what not to do in crisis communications, it's a three parter. But I watched part, part one, part of part two. It's worth watching. I, I want to check it out mostly just to figure out what happened to that plane. It was a fascinating thing when it came out. The one thing that's cultural there, you and I both lived in Asia, you in Singapore, and I was in Hong Kong and China. The, what these books don't have is this thing of saving face. And I think that the Malaysian Airlines and the Malaysian government wanted to save face. And that probably caused them to pause in terms of how they respond as crisis. They were shamed. And oh, no question. So and they and they weren't prepared for that one. And then yeah, you know, what was it? Six months later, the 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 other plane got shot down uh, over Ukraine, and they definitely weren't prepared for that one. So you know, it, you know, it, which has interesting parallels to uh, Norfolk Southern right now. Ooh, you can't win for losing sometimes. I'll always be prepared for something. <laughs> right. Hey, listen, we have another guest on our show this week. We're going to move on from crisis comms, and we're actually going to talk about the profession a little bit. Um, and I'd like to introduce her. Um, we picked her up because she wrote an article on uh, Business Insider, uh, and it was it was it was a, it was a telling personal article about how she uh, landed in the hospital from extreme stress and burnout. And everybody knows that if you're dealing with crises like planes going down or trains pulling over, right? This this job can be very stressful at times, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So. I'd like to welcome our guest, Elizabeth Rosenberg. She's the founder of the Good Advice Company. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Hi. Thank you, guys. Elizabeth, what, what is the Good Advice Company? What, what, what do you do? What, what are you all about? I am a personal branding expert now, after I've pivoted through my career over the last 25 years and really focused on communications and marketing consulting. 
Right. And so we came, we, we, we came across from you because, I, you know, we're PR people. We mm-hmm. sort of the web, we follow social media. And I came across a business article insider. And I'll, I'll read it to the audience. Uh, I was a 35-year-old global head of communications who landed in the hospital from extreme stress and burnout. It was the push I needed to finally leave agency life and put my wellness first. Ain't that the truth? Have we not ever asked that question ourselves before? <laughs> I always ask uh, I, the people that make it in this career. You know, if they make it to the top, I'm like, I bow down to you. You're you're awesome. You've done great. You've made it. But the people I admire more are the people who got out of PR. <laughs> like, how'd you do that? What did you do differently? Like, <laughs> tell me about it. So tell us about this article and and why you chose to wrote that to write that. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's so funny because I know you guys have talked about how it's like PR, not ER. And like, I was doing PR and it landed me in the ER. And I think about that all the time. Uh, PR is a very, very stressful business. And a lot of the time, especially if you are PR within a company. So I was the global head of comms for a very large international obviously global, but international um, advertising agency. I was responsible for hundreds of offices, big brand. And the irony behind all of this is that I actually really, really loved my job. And I think that people think that you only burn out if you hate your job. And I did not hate my job. I had traveled 80,000 miles in one year. I was staying at five-star hotels. I was working on the most influential brand in the world. I was launching a campaign that everybody knew about. I mean, it was very, very fun. But I was also working. 80 hours a week. And it's just too much for your, your body and your mind to actually kind of handle. And I also think there's little things that pull in, you know, as you're talking about crisis comms, when you are responsible for that kind of stuff, if you make a mistake, it, it can affect international money markets. It -hmm. can affect people's jobs. It can, like, there's a lot of pressure on PR people that I don't think that regular people take into consideration maybe more in the last few years as we're watching people get canceled on Twitter for saying something that they then think five minutes later, they shouldn't have tweeted, they deleted and it's still out in the world. Yeah. But also how are you are your authentic self if you can't actually say something without fear? So it is a really weird time that we're in, in terms of PR. I actually wrote that story. This is funny enough. When I was at a leadership retreat for a job that I quit like three weeks later. Interesting. And they were doing some event and I couldn't, I couldn't attend it. And I was sitting in the lobby and I just wrote it all down. And it took me a while to tell that story. I think in a lot of ways, I was very ashamed that I was that at that point in my career where I couldn't handle the stress that I was actually under. And the morning that I ended up put that, putting it out again, it had happened years prior, five, six years earlier. Um, I was very scared that I was going to get canceled and that people were going to think she's weak. She's ineffective. She won't be able to actually do the job that she'll, that we need her to do now. And the exact opposite happened. I had hundreds of emails all from all over the world of people being like, Oh my God, thank you so much for saying what I was kind of feeling. And Oh my God, this is actually kind of a a similar experience that I'm experiencing. I also think, I mean, maybe it's the PR person in me, but the timing on it was ideal. It was at a time where we were all emotionally burned out from the pandemic. We'd all been sitting at home far too long. We'd all been 
I think, inundated with just world events, in addition to how we were all kind of dealing with our own personal stuff and our own jobs and all of that jazz. So it, timing of it was really key. And I, I noted the timing of that article. Now you, you, your conversation just told me too, in this last, we said last week that the 2020s kind of sucked as far as a decade goes, right? You know, pandemics, wars, inflation. And yeah. Um, but there, you know, there was a rise of this also this sort of Me Too movement as well, but then also mental health came around. People really started talking about mental health in the last few years. And I think probably about that time, it was probably a zeitgeist of where it was when you wrote that article. And I think people really appreciated that. People are more comfortable with that now. That was a thing of a weakness before, but now it's a sign of strength that you can recognize it and move on. And um, I'm finding that people are a little bit more forgiving these days in terms of just taking some time out deal with stress and finding your own pace to do some things. And it hasn't always been that. A a thousand percent. I think there's also been a lot of um, public figures, athletes, especially who have been very clear and very public about their own mental health issues that they've been struggling with. And when we have people in uh, the public I think sphere that are talking about this, it is actually permission for everybody else to be talking about it as well. Now, I think that corporate America is also very slow on the uptake of being able to accept that people need mm-hmm. mental health and wellness practices because what works for one person doesn't work for the other. I, I, it's really frustrating when I say I have migraines and everyone's like, oh my God, have you tried magnesium? Have you seen a neurologist? Have you done this? Like I've had migraines since I was four. I've literally tried everything. It's not like I'm not trying to feel better. And I know that people just want to help, but what works for me is not necessarily going to work for somebody else. So we're all on our own journey to figure out what it is that is that silver bullet or what it is that is that antidote that's actually going to make you feel better. Some person might need to take a month off. Some person might just need a really long weekend of no email and they're refreshed. One of the things I think is it is you maybe not unique to our industry, but it's it's something that that it's a challenge that we all face. I you know I often joke that you know we're all people pleasers in PR and we're also all adrenaline junkies, which is a lethal combination for stress, whether it's built in or client-induced or whatever. And I, you know, from your article, I was, I was actually quite curious how much of of your stress was was client induced and how much of it was um you know, you know what you put on yourself i think at the time i thought most of it was client induced in all honesty i look back now i know that it was 90% self inflicted i am a type a virgo i am an enneagram 3 like 2 and 3 like i am a helper I am that person who offers, and I think this is probably most PR people, unsolicited advice every time I get the, the option to do it. And that people-pleasing thing is what makes PR people really good. Right. It's it's we we offer solutions to problems you didn't even know that you had. And and normally it's five different kinds of solutions. So when I do talk to PR people that are burning out, I we are normally the people that on a scale of one to ten. Our six is a regular person's 10. And I tell them, work at a fucking six. Yeah. Stop working at a 10. Your 10 is a regular person's 12. 
it's funny you say that there, there's a line in that I use in media training. Um, when you're talking about helping others and trying to solve problems, media training, I said, if you're asked about a problem, you need to talk about a solution. Right. And that's a, that's a tendency for us. Like you asked me about a problem. Well, let's talk about a solution. Right. You know, let's figure it out. There's a sort of an optimistic way to go looking about this, but that actually applies pressure for you. And for the audience out here to understand this, like every year there's like career is PR is one of the most stressful career jobs. I just pulled up one from 2019, the latest I could find, but of the top 10 professions that are uh, most stressful, PR executive is number eight. And that's behind number one, enlisted military, firefighter, airline pilot, and police chief. Uh, it is, <laughs> it's right up there. Doctors aren't in there at all. Taxi driver's number 10. So. And, let's, and let's get real, like we thrive in chaos. Oh yeah. Like no give question. me a good crisis moment. I, I represented Signal during the insurrection. Hey. <laughs> and I was, I mean, I was stress walking all around town. I'm like, I got this. We brought in people. We like, it was just, and I look back on that moment and the amount of adrenaline and just like, it's your drug. It is like, this yeah. is rad. And then, you, and then you're, you also realize that you didn't sleep for four days and you're like, this is crazy. I should not be doing this. You, you get thrown in right into the middle of it and it's like being chucked into a rushing river and you have to survive and float and like grab on the things and keep going until you hit calmer waters and you really can't get out of it. And when you get out of it, oftentimes you're exhausted when it's all yeah. set. It's a double-edged sword. I mean, I think I, I, at Elizabeth's point, I think we learned a lot during the pandemic. We learned to get that sort of that, that work-life balance. Um, we, we learned that, you know, we could do this job from just about anywhere. We can work from home. Um, but on the flip side, we're in an industry and a media environment right now where we have to work harder and to get the results. Clients are expecting more, but they want to pay less. So, you know, it, you know these, are, these are opposing forces that are pulling at each other. And either, either something's got something's to give or you have to, cut, you have to learn to deal with it better. Um, and, you know, for, you know, for people in the industry that, that either can't get out or don't know how to deal with that stress, you know, Elizabeth, I'd love to, I'd love to hear some of your, some of the things that you learn in, in, in your conversations about what, what can we do to sort of, you know, make the, the PR executive not number eight on the stressful profession list. And we thrive on that. So it is kind of, I know, right. We wouldn't join it if we, if we didn't want to thrive on it. It is a paradox. One of the things that is super important, and I didn't. I started doing this when I was a manager, by the way. Everyone's capable of doing this. Don't take day of meetings. And I know that sounds insane. You, If as a crisis person, you clearly need to take day of meetings. But day of meetings mess up everyone's schedule. There are things that you can plan in advance where it doesn't completely like derail your entire day. As PR people, we have a list of 20 things to do. And I used to send an email to my boss and say, here are the five things that I can do. And then here's 80% of my day that is just like things that fly in your face completely randomly. So being able to kind of prioritize that, I think is a big thing. Also, nothing needs to happen after hours. PR people have this mentality that we have to be available at all moments of every day. To be fair, there are times mm -hmm. where some idiot tweeted something that they should have tweeted and then everyone's in crisis comms 
or a Malaysian plane goes missing or, you know, there's something crazy that happens, but every, there, there's the person that has the bat phone that can get to you. Yeah. Creating it's boundaries what, around that is really important. It's one of the things I, and, and, and I've learned, you know, I, I used to work at Vista and I used to do crisis comms for the, the travel industry. And one of the things that I've learned with some of, you know, the, the you know, the startups and later stage startups is, you know, teaching them, okay, there, there are, there's an 8 p.m. crisis, and then there's the crisis that can wait until 9 a.m. And that, that goes a long, that goes a long way because you don't need to drop everything. You drop everything at eight o'clock to deal with, you know, something that's not, not a plane crash, not a, you're not, you're, you're not the network going down, those sorts of things. And, and the media is not going to care about it. And, the, and it's not a PR issue. Correct. Also, when it comes to burnout, I hate to say this, but the reality is you cannot prevent burnout until you have experienced burnout. Everyone's burnout's different. So you actually don't know what your burnout looks like until you've hit it. And once you've hit it, you're going to know what what the symptoms look like for it to, to not have it again with PR people, your body tends to give you signs before your mind does. Elizabeth, can you talk about your experience when you hit that point there? Like, what was it for you? Was it, uh, you know, to me, it sounds like, you know, you're getting there and then something triggers it or there's a tipping point. Of that it was, yes, my tipping point. I had felt my migraines getting more intense over a few months. And I've had migraines since I was four. This is not just like a PR symptom. It's just, I've, I've had it forever. And there was a meeting at work that just went sideways and I could not control anything. And everyone was upset and it went very, very badly. And for some reason in a regular day, it wouldn't have meant anything to me. For some reason in that day, it was the trigger and it just threw me. And if you read the article, you find out I drove myself to the hospital like a true PR person would and um, ended up coming home a few hours later with 300 something emails and started working again, telling myself that obviously I'm dying and I have a brain tumor and there's something wrong with me. And that has to be the reason why this happened. Then I realized I kind of did this to myself. Almost a Stockholm syndrome going on there. Kind of, I know. It's it is interesting. It's there is a lot of I think PTSD in PR. After that, you took some time off, I guess, or something. How did you reinvent yourself? What did you do? How did you walk away from this? Like, what should people experiencing close to burnout or unhappiness or 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 or, or God forbid for depression and things like that do to better themselves? I took no time off. I moved literally into a job. I quit. I moved into a new job a couple of weeks later um, or a couple of months later, but I think I had 10 days off between one job and the next. When I actually really tried and made a cognizant effort to leave agency life and to go back into creating something of my own, this is going to sound wild, but I was, it was like New Year's Eve and I was looking, I was cutting out things in magazines to make a vision board. And there was this picture that this designer had made, I have it framed on my wall that says, quit your job, you'll be fine. And it was like the last thing that I saw, it was like, all right. <laughs> and I literally cut it out, I put it in a frame and I have had it in my house ever since. Looked at it every day and was like, I can do this, I can do this. Then you just have to leap. I knew that I had the network, I had the experience and I had the, I was 
financially stable enough to then make that change. And Mm -hmm. when I made that change and I launched my own company, my goal was really to focus on being a, um, like a consultant just for creative agencies and kind of doing what I was doing and how to scale that. And then I just let the path kind of show it to me. I had never planned on doing personal branding at all. And people started asking me for that service. And when there's a a place in the market for you to do work, but people are paying you and willing for you to do, you figure out how to make it work. And in all honesty, like I have never been happier. I'm not doing the minutia that I was doing earlier in my career. I'm not pitching really anymore. I'm not writing press releases. I'm not doing that stuff. I'm saying super high level strategy and I'm working with very interesting corporate leaders. But I know that this comes from a place of privilege that I'm able to do this and planning. I don't, I, I, I know a lot of people that I'm like, I, I don't know if I'd recommend just like quit your job and like go. But there are a lot of jobs out there that will offer you not as much grind. And if it's I, the very first thing I would say, if it, you're in an industry you don't believe in, go to an industry you are. If you're working for a tech company and you don't believe in their values and their mission and what they're doing for the world, go work in sustainability, go do something else. But the, there is money in PR if you're doing something that you actually believe in. And, and honestly, the more you like your job, the more money you make. Elizabeth, I think one of the things that, and we had talked about before we started filming, and it's sort of a nice segue, you know, talking about, you know, changing your jobs. And um, some people can do it voluntarily and others cannot. And some of it have hoisted upon them, shall we say. Mm-hmm. So so we're seeing a lot in this, you know, this economic climate, we're seeing a lot of layoffs. We're seeing a lot of people getting let go. Companies are firing people en masse. Uh, from a PR perspective, um, I, let, let's talk about it. You, you've got some experience in, in, in dealing with communication, you know, communication and, and, and layoffs and retrenchments. Uh, what are you seeing right now? What are some of the things that companies should be doing when, when they recognize, okay, we've got we've to get rid of a bunch of people? Uh, the reality is I think what we're seeing out there is not actually what is happening behind closed doors. There, the, the tech industry and the financial industry started the layoff cycle, I'd say in probably mid-2022. Part of that reason was after everybody let everybody go in 2020, everybody was hired back in 2021 at super inflated rates and employees, it was an employee's market. You could work where you wanted to work. You could be in a van in Mexico, living your best life and working remotely and getting paid a ton, like one and a half percent of what you were, or 150% of what you were making earlier. In 2022, as business is starting to wean, as, as tech and um, finance are trying to get the, I think, power back for, in the employer um, seat, everybody followed suit. Because that's when like the, the budgets are starting to clip and everything's happening. But I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that like people were making way too much money. Employees were saying were, were creating the rules of where they wanted to work and how they wanted to work. And employees were kind of over it. Well, that and the, and the growth fast break things business model of tech is not sustainable. No, you, know, you, can't, you can't hire thousands of people you know, with a bottom line that doesn't sustain it. A thousand percent. But then what's happened is how internal and external comms have been handled on these layoffs has been atrocious. 
atrocious. We all had this idea that we were going to be so empathetic and so vulnerable and so transparent in how we were dealing with this. And we regressed very, very badly at the end of 2022 and beginning of 2023. Um, a lot of these statements are now of like, we are reorganizing, like reorganizing to give our clients more of what they need. We are um, scaling back in order to do this. And I actually think the best part about the layoffs in 2020 was the full transparency of everything. With the pandemic happening, we are uncertain of the financial future. Therefore, we have to let our people go. We will do everything that we can to take care of them and to find them new jobs as best we can. Great, human, honest, fantastic. In 2023, there's nothing about the people. And the other thing too is a lot of people are doing layoffs on like a Friday with the reorg line mm -hmm. and then announcing promotions on Monday. Like that is not cool. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a lack of a holistic view of things. And listen, I, I actually think there have been some good layoff memo notes out there and there have been some transparent ones, but there been, the bad ones are just bad. Yeah. I said the page of duty quote Martin Luther King and not really talking yeah. about the staff. Right. So Company Pager Duty did that, and, and <laughs> I just blew my mind. Like it was tone death in so many ways. And I, you know, I don't know if you guys have other ones here, uh, but that one just Twitter, came off Twitter's a masterclass on how not to get rid of a bunch of people. <laughs> I mean, not only not only they do it, you know, tone deathly, but it affects the company, you know, almost immediately in terms of the product. I don't know if they've got HR or PR people there right now. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think they have any. Of Definitely not PR. No. No, it's a mess. <laughs> they have Elon. Uh, um, uh, so in one of your blog posts, I mean, on your posts on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. you know, you were talking about the layoffs and you mentioned we're still in no real recession. And, and I think like, we're I feel like the government and the Fed and everybody else is trying to get us there to tame inflation. But we're still chugging along here. And it's mostly uncertainty that is affecting this job market rather than anything in terms of purchasing power and, you know, people actually working and getting things done. The wild thing about all of this is that there is massive ghost hiring happening right now, which is why I feel very strongly that a lot of these layoffs have to do with right-sizing the ship and with taking the power back. There's a ton of companies that want to get back into the office. And by the way, I think there is a benefit to both. I totally get where the employees are coming from, but I also totally get where the employers are coming from. As a manager, I wanted my team in the office. There, there's magical things that happen when your team is together, when you're able to brainstorm, when you're able to have those, those conversations in the hallways that you, that you normally wouldn't have, obviously, with, with Zoom. But there are companies right now who are not announcing any jobs that are available and are hiring people at great salaries at, you know, not necessarily all remote, but like half in office, half remote. There's if you're good at your job <laughs> and you're networking right now, there are jobs out there for you. So I don't want people who especially PR people who are listening to this to feel um, like there's nothing out there because there's a lot out there right now. They're just cleaning house and right-sizing salaries. Before we wrap up, this is, this is the, the segment where we call the, sh the shameless plug. What are you working on right now that you're excited about? 
I have totally pivoted my business. And again, this is like the beauty of PR, right? We can go from like a crisis to music, to nonprofit, to sports, to it's like, once you know what you're doing, you know what you're doing. I am now doing, again, like mostly personal branding for, I, I work with a lot of PR people who have either recently left a corporate job and are turning into consultants or um, again, pharmaceutical, I've worked with all CMOs, all that kind of stuff. And because of how the media landscape has changed so drastically, I have leaders come to me and say, I want to talk about diversity, creativity, and leadership. And I'm like, no one gives a shit what you have to say about any of those things. I'm like, you actually need to have a story that is interesting because media is actually covering the news for the first time in the last five years. Like there's actual story, there's news. So the opportunity for earned media is much smaller. So as a leader, you need to have a really strong personal brand, op-eds, op like stories about yourself that thread the needle between your job and your personal life. And I think a lot of people are very scared to want to do that, but those are also the leaders that people want to work for. Those are the leaders that have something interesting to share and an impact they're actually making in the world. And I think the challenge is every CEO's got an interesting story. It's It's making it relevant to what's going on. Like you said, Reporters are covering news now. Let's 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 break the let's let's thread it thread the needle, and 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 have that interest plus the story. And then I'm just you know I love a hot take on on LinkedIn. It's so nice to not have to be like chained to a company at the moment, where I can actually really authentically say how I feel about PR, how I feel about layoffs, how I feel about you know four letter words in the workplace. Yeah, I think it's it's important. Let's talk about that, Elizabeth. I think yeah. you know there's a few people on on LinkedIn that are using that platform to great effect. LinkedIn used to be, hey, I have a job. Hey, we launched this product. We do this, and now everybody's like, hold on, wait a second. I'm doing my work. Here's how I'm feeling. Here's the lessons I'm learning. Uh, I'm going to share it with everybody. It's definitely a lot more personal, and it mixes business and personal life. I mean. I, I, I've been sharing stuff here and there, but sometimes I feel like I, might be, I don't want to share too much. I don't need to know things. How do you balance that out? And how do you work with clients to on a, on a brand perspective or anything? Like to me, it's really a new trend that I'm seeing on LinkedIn. It is. The thing I'm going to say, the, there's one thing that I really hate about LinkedIn and it's those people who pull like, a TikTok or a tweet or something that's like viral somewhere else and then put it on LinkedIn and then it goes viral, has like 20,000, you know, likes. And you're like, I don't understand. This is weird. What I love, and I, I recommend this to all of my clients. There's an algorithm to LinkedIn. LinkedIn. It's a game and it wants you to feed the algorithm. You're going to have one post that has one like, and you're going to have one post that's got a couple hundred likes. Just don't, A, don't worry about that. When it comes to the personal stuff, pick two to three topics that you want to talk about and do not veer. Stay in those topics. The beauty that we have about being PR professionals is we are able to weave in that stuff into cultural moments very, very easily. But really, 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 really don't veer. No one needs your hot take on everything. It is, it is a only potential for you to mess up. <laughs> and no one wants their own crisis comms. Like that is a disaster in the making. In terms of the personal stuff, I think in general, as a, like society and humanity, like we're all trying to connect in different ways. 
and to also make it feel like we're not so weird for feeling one way or having something happen to us. It goes back to the burnout story. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't in five years ago, I didn't need to tell that story. I don't think anybody would have really cared, but I felt like at that time it was important for me to share that story because A, that's where I was in my life and B, I wanted other people to feel like they weren't alone. And the irony behind all of that is it really helped me create my brand, my then my methodology. And now when I work with clients, I'm like, look, I've built my own brand. This works and this doesn't. I, don't be scared about what you post on LinkedIn. Most of my clients are like, eh, eh, it's okay. The corporate comms people are the people that are the tough ones to get around. Yes. They want you to they want you to put their header as the company header and they want you to build the company brand. And you're like, that's don't do that either. Well, I mean, like picking two or three things to talk about to mm -hmm. be is a good point, right? You know, you can't be talking about software development, cooking, and record plant, vinyl record collections, right? Pick exactly. Them. Or you could, but make sure you they <laughs> thread the needle. <laughs> yeah. But I, but I but I think too, there's you know, I, I think if you work with your clients, and I, I say this with clients too, when they're trying to make a statement or do something, it has to be authentic. Yes, but true authenticity is very scary. Hmm. It's wow. it's because because you're putting part of yourself out there, and what if that person's not accepted? We all live as, as this rejected version of ourselves, and we're really good at it, especially PR people. It's like that version is successful. Everybody likes that person. They're doing great. What if you put out that authentic version of you and it's not accepted? The beauty is I have found that that, that authentic version always is accepted, if anything, if more, because it's actually easier to be that person. But that it, there is that fear about what if that person isn't it. And well, there's also like an audience for everyone. So the thing is, I think too, if you're like scared that you're not going to be accepted, the people that will accept you are the people you want to work with. The people, people who don't are, those are not your people. Yeah. And that's fine too. But we also shouldn't be on these social media apps striving for fame. You should be on, you should be talking about things that are authentic to you because you want to make an impact, whether you're impacting one person or you're impacting thousands. The ripple effect is huge. That's a great approach. It's a good way to, to think through it. You know, because I was just thinking through the authentic authenticity part of it. And I was like, I don't want my gangster self to come out on LinkedIn, but maybe my <laughs> corporate It comes through, David. It comes through. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth, you have been a fantastic guest. I wish we could Thank keep you. this going for days. And, and um, you know, if people need to get a hold of you, what, where do we find you? How do they find you? Uh, you can find me at thegoodadvicecompany.com. And uh, on LinkedIn, just look up Elizabeth Rosenberg, Good Advice Company, and I'm the, I'm the first one there. We, we are so happy we reached out to you, and, and I just found this one fascinating. I can't wait to get the show out. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Elizabeth. Great talking to you today. Take care, y'all. Under pressure. 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 Pressure.